Um, last night, I, or yesterday afternoon, I actually um, graduated. And um, yeah. It was actually um, a really cool day. I had some friends drive up um, to Auckland because we were in Auckland for the weekend and surprised me. And um, actually, I didn't tell you guys, but when I got up to receive my certificate um, for the whole three seconds that I got to be on stage um, through the long, boring ceremony, um, I got so many cheers that the um, guy who was handing me my certificate didn't say congratulations. He was like, oh, you bought a crowd with you today, didn't you? <laughs> so I was like, make my mark, you know. But it was actually just um, a really cool celebration because um, I think in my mid-20s, I honestly just didn't think that I was ever going to get the chance to finish it. Um, I started it 13 years ago. And um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but I don't think Dad ever thought I was going to finish it either um, because he planned a hunting trip on my graduation. So um, so yeah, I know, right? Rough. And... Um, so anyway, so Dad was planning this trip, so the whole process was basically a negotiation, a time of negotiation, like, all right, well, Dad's not going to be there, so what can I get out of this? Um, and so one of the things ended up being he would pay for dinner that night. And um, so my sister and I went with the premise of it's better to ask for um, forgiveness than permission. So we booked this really beautiful restaurant, uh, seven-course degustation with the idea that it would hopefully just sort of like, it would be two weeks, Dad would be out of the bush and eventually see it come through on his bank statement. Um, but Dad, uh, on Thursday, got what I call bush guilts. And we get this satellite text um, from him to mum saying, hey, um, so can you book me a flight? I want to come now to Bree's graduation. So dad not only had the pleasure of enjoying our seven-course meal, but uh, the pleasure of paying for it on the spot. <laughs> so thanks, dad. I will just pretend that I'm not a bad daughter. But I was thinking about it this the other day and wondered, like, have you ever pretended that whether something, if something didn't happen? Because there isn't many major moments in my life where I have sort of pretended that something hasn't happened. Like, I'm pretty straight up, like, I'll... I'll own it, I'll claim it. And, um, and so I, was, I put this message, a text message out to my family in our family text chat. You know, has there been any moments in your life where you've pretended that something hasn't happened? And uh, oh my goodness, my family are just really not that honest. On, um, they're a bit dodgy, but um, that's why they work in the church. <laughs> but um, this was actually one of my favorite stories and it's not one of our family, because we've got to keep some things separate and private. Um, but my brother used to be in the New Zealand army. Mm. And it was um, one of his friends had, uh, was at sniper training school. And so it was this four month intensive course and he had his final assessment. So this final assessment was a pass or fail uh, test. And the, the task was that he had to eliminate his instructor. Um, and so he was in Wairuru, um, so just off the desert road, and um, he was dressed in his ghillie suit, so basically um, so that he could blend into the surround, so dressed like, I don't know, probably tussocks and all that kind of stuff, a bit of brown. And at the same time, um, there was, I think they have an annual motocross, off, oh, what is it called, an off, off-roading motocross event happening down at Wairuru at the same time. And um, anyway, so here he was dressed in his ghillie suit and um, 
calling really, really slowly so not to be seen, so he could eliminate his instructor. Anyway, one of these motocross um, riders had obviously got off track. She was a middle-aged woman uh, who had got lost. And um, no comments, Rob. Anyway, anyway, so he saw this lady and so he was like, oh goodness, okay, so I've got to like, he's still got his test to pass, you know, all that kind of stuff, pass or fail. And so he kept really low, really quiet, didn't move, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so this lady came right up to him, took off her pants, squared up on a bush that was his head and proceeded to pee. The whole time, he had to pretend that it wasn't happening. <laughs> he still couldn't be shot. I don't actually know what would have happened if he'd gone, boo. <laughs> he might have got a little bit more than he bargained for if that had happened. But honestly, it's safe to say he passed, but had to pretend and deny that this thing had ever happened, even though it clearly had, right? He did tell all the boys after it, uh, Hence why it's got to me. But um, the church in Colossae was literally being pressured to pretend that the resurrection of Jesus hadn't happened. There was pressure from all of these sides to say that Jesus, who knew no sin, who took on our sin and all of the wrongdoing of humanity on himself, just so that we could be made right with him, didn't happen. You know, it's just this nice story. And, you know, Jesus was just a good man who, he wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't the Saviour, he wasn't who they'd been waiting for. And so Rob and Monica and Bernie have shared over the last few weeks about how Paul encouraged this um, community, these people in their faith and their love for Jesus, um, reminding them of who Jesus um, was and um, had done in their life. But now we get to this point in his letter to, Coloss to the people of Colossae, his action points, where Paul is telling them how to practically respond to those around them. And so that's where we are tonight. So um, we're in Colossians chapter four, verses two to six. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, um, you know, there's always so much to take from what Paul has to say. But here, Paul is moving this community from a personal and private faith to a life that reflects Jesus to others. Why? For the sake of others. Because what's at stake is eternity. And that's what drives Paul from his prison cell where he's writing this letter is that eternity is at stake. So everything that we do and don't do and say and don't say ultimately is a signpost towards or away from Jesus. So tonight I'm going to take you through this passage kind of backwards and um, yeah, hopefully you'll still be able to follow along, but let's just pray. 
Jesus, I, um, I thank you that we can be here tonight and um, that we can not only be here together, but we can learn together. And God, my prayer is that your um, spirit will refresh us as we remind all of us, uh, remind ourselves of what you've done for us. I just pray that you be with me as I share. Amen. So I actually want to start with this section here. So it's saying be wise, be, be alert in the way you act towards outsiders. So for Paul, outsiders was anyone who wasn't a follower of Jesus. And making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. And these are two random kind of things, right? Like grace and salt. I, um, I can't say I've ever seasoned myself with salt before. I don't know about you, but what does it even look like to have our conversations be full of grace? I want to read to you um, what it says in the message. It says, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. You know, sometimes in our conversations and honestly, like social media has got to be the worst of our worst versions, best and worst versions of ourselves. Uh, just so incredibly graceless. Graceless. You know, we don't really want to hear people. We don't want to work to bring out the best in them or build them up. Our conversations with people who are both Christian and non-Christian should see us leaning in and demonstrating the love and the grace that has first been given to us. It's about not going off in a way that inflates and puffs up our own egos or communicating in a way that is out to prove a point and not listen. It's communicating the gospel in a grace-filled way, pointing out and bringing out the best in people from a place of love. And the only way that we can authentically love people and authentically offer grace is first being alert, as Paul says, to the grace that has been offered and given to us. As I, um, as I get older, I deny that too, um, hopefully I become more aware. That's the only hopeful thing you can really get. But I realise obviously how much I don't know, but also how desperate I am in need of God's grace and forgiveness. You know, I stuff up way more than I would ever like to admit. And um, those of you who are friends with me and especially my family, um, including my mother this afternoon, sorry, mum, my family, um, know more than anyone else how much I am in need of grace. And so because of the grace and forgiveness that has been given to me, I am constantly reminded and challenged about the grace that I should and need to offer to others. Because as we become more aware of this grace and alert to this grace, we can do nothing but humbly offer it to others as well. However, <laughs> in our love and understanding towards others in these grace-filled conversations, it doesn't mean we compromise. I think sometimes we're so afraid of what people might think of Jesus that we try to fit this beautiful gospel um, into people's current lives. It becomes a gospel that doesn't require any challenge, um, any challenge, change or transformation of the heart. It's a gospel that offers forgiveness without repentance, communion without confession, blessings without pr um, prayer or relationship. 
it cheapens what God did, did on the cross. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a great theologian, calls this cheap grace. Cheap grace. And I get that it's tricky, you know. Um, spirituality today is sold to us as a private thing or something that's um, there for the needy or the marginalised, the strange ones of us. Even in the last few weeks, we've had conversations and um, our Prime Minister has talked about how New Zealand is a tolerant nation, which is very noble, right? And one that we're told, we're told to be open-minded and where every idea and belief is to be viewed as equal and should be respected by everyone everywhere. But this isn't what Paul was meaning by grace-filled conversations. Because the irony is that demanding tolerance of all views isn't very tolerant. I was reading um, Ben Pierce's book the other day. Um, I don't know if you guys remember David Pierce, who came, uh, in, was it last month, I think? And so this was the book that his son wrote. Some of you may still have it on your bedside table. Um, but it was in his book, he was talking about how in the past, people were sacred whilst ideas were up for debate. But how in today's world, tolerance guards people, uh, sorry, guards ideas and attacks people. So guards ideas and attacks people. So people no longer have the freedom to think critically about issues and come up for their, with their own conclusions for fear of being rejected or bullied. And so we again find tolerance suddenly isn't so tolerant. I'm not sure if that's been um, your experience, but it's certainly been mine. So subsequently, again, our grace-filled, loving conversations can turn into conversations where you compromise on the message of Christ. But this is where salt comes into it. And so for a long time, salt has been used uh, for preserving food. And because um, when you salt meat, it keeps it fresh. And um, the day before refrigerators, it was the only way to keep meat from going off. And nowadays we use it to make all this beautiful food like uh, chorizo, prosciutto and salami, like yum. And, um, and so if salt is to preserve food, it's also in this passage, we're talking about preserving the gospel. And it's never been more necessary, I think, than in today's culture. And our desire for tolerance to hear and love our neighbour, we can end up compromising on God's truth because we don't want to offend people. But Paul is saying, make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel. Have these conversations with love and grace and care, but don't compromise the gospel in the process of doing it. Uh, when Carl, my husband, was sick with leukaemia and um, eventually terminal, we were at a uh, place, and particularly for Carl, where we just had nothing, nothing left to lose. Um, and, you know, particularly for Carl, as I said, like he, um, you know, was always trying to cheat death. Our futures had been ripped away from us. Our jobs, our social lives, health, money was non-existent. And people... Um, and friends that we met along the journey at like the hospital and the leukemia village and things were all dying around us. And we honestly felt like the bottom of the social ladder. 
um, you know, we honestly couldn't be shunned any more than what life had already thrown us. And so we, because we felt we had nothing left to lose, when it came to sharing the gospel with people, we took the same approach. What did they have to reject us for? Everything had been stripped away. It was essentially just us and God. And so we had opportunities to talk and pray with people. And, you know, I've shared this before. We had a, um, a number of our friends that asked us why we didn't lose our faith or questioned God and amongst the suffering that we were facing together. But we just didn't have anything to lose. In fact, we had everything to gain. We were given peace beyond understanding and hope of eternity with God. And I look back and I'm honestly dumbfounded at the peace and, um, and the hope that we felt because there was just no real tangible reason for why we should feel that way. But when Carl passed away, I um, rejoined the workforce and built relationships again. And I found myself compromising on what the gospel message was for me because suddenly I didn't want to be rejected by the people around me. I had plenty of love-filled conversations, but there was no saltiness in it to preserve what the gospel message actually meant. And I think we fall into this trap every day, especially in a culture that is so demanding. And as I said, so demanding of tolerance to the point of compromise. And so Paul reminds us, have grace-filled conversations, bring out the best in people and don't compromise on the message of Christ in the process. But it doesn't actually make the gospel dull because salt doesn't only preserve, it adds flavour. There's um, a popular um, series and book at the moment called um, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Anyone watched it? Foodies amongst us, yes. <laughs> and it explains how these four elements, salt, fat, acid and heat, just create, are the basis for creating food. And so the author talks about, how, uh, talks about salt and about how it not only enhances flavour, but salt has the greatest impact on flavour than any other ingredient. It's like the boss of all flavourings. Um, so when I was a teenager, I went on this high school tramping trip in year 12. And um, dad was away at the time, so mum helped me pack my pack. And uh, I love my mum, but she likes the extras in life. And so my pack, I had extra pots, I had tea towels, I had spare clothes. I literally had the salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> and I had to carry this all on my back. <laughs> and at one point we were about to literally climb this cliff face because most of the track had been um, washed away. And one of the boys in my class was like, yeah, yeah, Brie, I'll swap your pack. Well, he suffered like real bad. We swapped packs. It was fabulous for me. Um, Mum now claims it was her personal revenge on a brat of a teenager, not bad packing, but I know she likes the bougie lifestyle. <laughs> For the next hike I went on, I was totally scarred from my experience of too much stuff, so I went totally Marie Kondo, minimalist style on my pack. There was, I compromised on everything and definitely, and compromised on food, right? There was definitely no salt and pepper shakers this time. Because after a hard day of tramping, everything's tasty, right? No. <laughs> no, it's such a lie. The meal, my meal was like the envy of no one. It barely even enticed me. 
And so um, I've since learned, since learned the key is to mix the salt and pepper in a little Ziploc bag, just tips for you all. Uh, go with Dad and get him to carry the extras on his back. <laughs> but salt is important, but it's because it's anything but bland. And the message of the gospel is also anything but bland. It's not boring. It's exciting and compelling and transformational and countercultural. And, you know, a great tragedy um, is that research has suggested uh, that the majority of unbelievers describe Christians as boring. But quite honestly, we didn't need research to tell us that, did we? <laughs> it's like our bad slogan. But Jesus and his message was anything but boring. If we look at the Bible stories of Jesus, a boring person didn't have five, don't have 5,000 people turning up to hear their message. Boring, a boring person isn't asked at a wedding to make the party better. A boring person isn't greeted with palm branches when they enter a city and a boring person doesn't change the world. Our God is not boring. The world literally altered its calendar to center around the life of Jesus, BC and AD, Jesus was anything but boring. Paul here, is saying, Paul here is saying, season it with salt, preserve the message of God, but show off its flavor. And this means showing that you're passionate for Jesus. Um, St. Patrick's Day uh, was last month and I'm always reminded because we see this great big sea, um, normally at the pubs of green around town. And... Um, I was having a, a bit of a look at old St. Patrick and, you know, he wasn't even Irish. He was actually, um, they think he was most likely Roman British. And he was captured in a raid at um, 16 years of age and shipped off and forced to become a slave in Ireland. He then spent six years working as a shepherd, um, where, at which point he reconnected with his faith in God. And after he was able to escape, he went back home and he became a priest. And Patrick then had a vision of um, telling him to go back to Ireland and bring the message of the gospel um, to Ireland. And so off he went. And at his time there, in his time there, he converted at least half of Ireland, baptizing some 100,000 people and helping to form over 300 churches. He lived an incredible life, definitely not boring. I often wonder what's possible when we decide God's not boring. In 1 Corinthians verses three, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, right? yep. it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. It's important, what's important is that God makes the seed grow. And so for me, it's reminding myself to be bold in the little moments. It's as simple as when I was chatting to my hairdresser about the Netflix series we'd both been watching called God and sharing about my faith in Jesus. It's after church when I'm eating at the local Indian restaurant and the waiter asks where we've been. And I say church and we have a bit of church chat. Well, like a few years ago, we were in Sydney for the Hillsong Conference and as a group, we were in the taxi and we got chatting to the taxi driver about why we were there and what we were doing. And after a really simple conversation, um, Ethan, one of our friends, asked the driver if he wanted to keep the Bible we'd been given. Don't see the little moments as wasteful or not worth your time, energy or effort. It's all planting and watering. 
As followers of Jesus, you know, we know why we got here and why. Or do we? In my time working with youth or talking with Christians, Christian friends, it's not uncommon for me to have people say, I don't even know what the gospel message is. I don't understand it. My sister was once talking to a friend who grew up in the church and had no understanding of grace. We speak of the gospel as this totally abstract idea, perhaps forgetting what the message is actually about. But this is one of the reasons why we gather together in church and to, we gather to remind each other of what this message is. And, you know, all throughout the Israelites' history, God and the prophets were calling the people of Israel to remember where they'd come from and to remember who God was. Paul's letters to the churches were reminding them of who Christ was and the message that he brings that transforms their daily life. But we'll struggle to take up that call that Paul talks about in this passage tonight if we don't know what that message is. So tonight I thought we could remember together what it is that Christ has done for us and to collectively remember the work that Christ continues to do in us. This is the gospel. It's for the lost and for me. Some of us need to be reminded what the gospel's meant to be and how the gospel sets us free. Our God is a God of mystery and of wonder who created the sun, the sky, mountains, moon and thunder. He gave colour to the trees and life in the seas. He made the bees and the birds that fly through the breeze. His breath gave us life as we were created in His image. From life to love, it was nothing to diminish. A beautiful sight to envisage. In Eden, He gave us a place and asked us to participate, but instead we chose not to cooperate. In our act of disobedience, we chose to be slaves. We became bound up, choked up, shackled up in chains. Creation was doomed as sin consumed. A debt had to be paid and a sacrifice had to be made. How we fought and struggled to live up to His name, but we fail, fall short and cause His heart pain. We're sinful and weak and needed a way, but we couldn't buy it, so who's going to pay? So God, the King, sent His Son, Jesus, to take our place, take on our sin to free us. Drenched in blood, skin torn, bones broken, crying out to God, so heartbroken. It should have been me. It should have been you. Nailed to that cross for our sins accrued. You see, justice and grace were shown together that day. Justice heavy on a man who had no sins to weigh, grace loudly displayed as flesh was nailed. Jesus suffering so merciless as he was impaled. Jesus said it is finished as he hung there on that cross. The one who came to bring life had no life left at all. When he took his last breath, he took on my death. His grace, God's son, my sin. The cross is not the end of the story. God still needed to show his glory. Jesus was taken off that cross and laid in a tomb. All was lost, one would assume. Then right before dawn on that third day, that stone from that tomb was rolled right away. 
The Jesus they mourned had now been risen. Death was no longer his prison. Jesus succeeded where we had failed and God's ultimate love for us had been unveiled. Because of His grace and our repentance, every sin you will do, are doing and did is no longer your sentence. No height, no depth, no one thing in your past and no one thing that is coming can take us from His love. God's only Son gave us everlasting life. His great resurrection brought us out of strife. Dead hearts are woken because of this word that's been spoken and my soul is more full because of His love, grace and peace, pierced together by His Son, Jesus. The Gospel is more than just words, more than just stories told. It's alive and those who seek Him shall find Him. He says, come to me all who are burdened, all who are weary. Come little ones, come broken ones, come sad ones and those alone. Come strong ones, come sick ones, come weak and those growing. You are loved, you are free. You see, freedom is found in surrender when you answer His call. Jesus said, love God and love all. Love God and love all. You know, um, we all know that God leads us and relies on us to share this message of Jesus with those around us. And it's tough at times. But this is what we're called to do. Be His witnesses. And I know that it's a really um, a simple message and one that we often forget about and forget, I don't know, our place in the story. But I just wanna encourage you tonight and maybe as we pray and I'm not really one for declarations, but tonight as we pray, if you just wanna stand and just say, God, I'm here, I'm yours, use me. I just really encourage you to do that. Why don't we pray, stand if you want. God, I thank you for your grace because we need it. God, you give us your grace and love even though we are so undeserving of it. And I thank you for you pursuing a relationship with us. Thank you for your mercy and ultimately your sacrifice for us on that cross. God, I pray that you give us a heart for the lost and for those around us in our schools and our workplaces, our friends and our family. God, break our hearts. Help us to see people in the way that you see them. Help us to see their pain and understand their questions and help us to love them and help us to be bold and taking up those moments of opportunity. God, change our hearts. God, as you speak to people tonight, I just pray that as they go about their week and that they just have a greater sense of the actions that they're meant to take. God, I just pray you use us, God. We are willing. Amen.